You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Mitch Album, an internationally renowned and best-selling author, journalist, screenwriter, playwright, radio and television broadcaster, and musician and humanitarian. His books have collectively sold more than 35 million copies worldwide, have been published in 49 territories and in 45 languages around the world, and have been made into Emmy Award-winning and critically acclaimed television movies. He joins us today to talk about his new novel, The Magic Strings of Frankie Presto, publishing by HarperCollins on November 10th. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thank you very much for this very distinctive novel, which seems like you were you were born to write because it, it combines what you've identified as your two main loves, writing and music. Tell us about Frankie Presto, the voice of music, and Frankie's magic guitar strings. Well, that's a lot. Uh, basically, Frankie Presto is a mythical guitar player. He's the hero of this book. He is, in the book, the greatest guitarist to ever walk the earth. He is given, because of his suffering in his early life as a child, a sort of magical guitar and a set of magic strings that allow him to change people's lives over the course of his own life, six lives for six strings. When he does this, the string turns blue, and then it's used up, and now he's down to five strings, and then four, and then three, and then two, and then one. The story is told not by a third-person narrator and not by a first-person account uh, by a, a real individual, but it's told actually by the voice of music itself. Music is the character, and music comes at the beginning of the book to the funeral of Frankie Presto, because he dies right at the beginning, to take back the big fistfuls of talent that Frankie grabbed when he was born. And while music is there hovering over his favorite child, he decides to stay and listen to the hosannas that are going to be thrown at his creation. And so while he's staying there, we hear the life of Frankie Presto told by music and then interspersed with memories by musicians and other people who are at the funeral. Yeah. So it's sort of a unique way to tell a story. It's the biggest thing I've ever tried. It's, it's twice the size of any of my other yeah. books. And it really spans most of the 20th century in terms of music. Uh, Frankie's born in 1936 in a burning church in Spain, and he dies in 2009. So you can imagine the music that's yeah, covered. He seems to run into a, a lot of the, the influential figures, doesn't he? Well, it's it, that's part of the magic of the story. In addition to the strings, he's like a Zelig or yeah. Forrest Gump kind of character in that he's totally fictional. Obviously, he's sort of a superhero with these powers, but yet everybody he deals with is real. Uh, in terms of the music stuff, and it's very accurately yep. researched. And so he comes over on a boat 
with uh, Django Reinhardt, the gypsy jazz guitar player. He meets up with Duke Ellington when he's here. He encounters Hank Williams and does something for him. That's he's a very in, funny scene, the Hank yeah, Williams scene. He's in a studio with uh, uh, Little Richard as a guitar player yeah. and he talks him into doing Tutti Frutti. He ends up touring with Elvis and as yeah. a backup guitar player and then takes over for Elvis one night when Elvis can't make it. And all of these things... You know, well, they didn't really happen, but it kind of feels like they did happen. Yeah. And so you suspend your belief a little bit when you read this book. It's sort of fantastic, but it's entirely believable. Right. And one of my favorite aspects about music as the narrator is how clearly you and he believe that musicians are touched, that they're, I, and I really, I, I went to music school, I, I married a musician, I have a son who's very, and I really truly believe that, that it, you, you get touched. And then it's sort of what you do do with that, which is, of course, what your story is about, right. and sort of the burden. I, and I do believe that there's almost as much of a burden as a gift to be to be touched in that way. Do you That's agree true. with that? Uh, well, I, I think it can be a burden. I think it's, it's more like a burning inside you uh, that can be both a burden or, or a blessing. Uh, and, and I think Frankie has that in this, in this book, and any musician of which I like to consider myself Absolutely. one, um, will tell you that when you are musical, there's a need to speak in that language, and yet the rest of the world communicates in this language, the one that you and I are sharing right. now. And, and when you are on stage with other musicians, you're speaking that language. Got it, yeah. And you feel, that's why a lot of musicians just want, want to play, to be because stage, they feel, yeah. I'm at home here. Okay, we're all speaking the same Got language, it. even though we're not talking. We're looking at each other, we're hearing the rhythm. I'm playing over your chords, you're playing behind me, you're providing a beat for what it is. And I actually ended up using that feeling of being in a band as a theme of the book for people who are not musical, yeah. to try to say, and one of the repeated lines in the book is, everybody joins a band in life. Some of them play music. But the connection that you have when you're on stage with a bunch of musicians, where one person's going to step out front, where one's going to provide the support, where one can go off kind of on a tangent, but the other one then has to be responsible and keep to yeah. the rhythm of the, of the melody. That's very much how a, a family works, right. an army works, a workplace works, a bunch of friends work. One, one is kind of the, the leader, the other couple might be followers. One keeps the steady beat, but without that person, the whole thing falls apart. You know? And so there's a lot of parallels in life to being in a band, and that was a theme that I wanted to run yeah, through. Yeah, and you, you, clear, you clearly do that. You really make us think in those terms of who are, who's my tribe, who's my band, who, right. and how it changes over life your lifetime and how it changes even within one relationship. So, and one of the points that you make, because I think this book is as much about a love story as anything else. It's right. a love story between two people, but it's also a love story between a musician and his music. That's but right. in terms of Frankie, and you can tell us a little bit about his love interest, but you describe their relationship like the structure of a symphony. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that. Symphonies are basically divided into four parts. And uh, because music is telling the tale, I thought that music would always have to relate to Frankie through its own world of adjectives right. and things yeah, like yeah. that. So there are parts where music, for example, is very mystified by money, doesn't understand yeah. it. He said, why do you let money influence whether you play me or not? You know, what does it have to do with it? He's totally flummoxed by it. Uh, and he describes different parts of 
Frankie's life with musical Italian musical symbols like yeah. oh now, now we're in an adagio portion now we're in an adante portion of his life the slower the, the the you know the faster and the same thing with the symphony is broken into these four parts and if you actually look at love stories they're kind of they're like very that, often you know? fall into yeah it. they do that was just lucky when <laughs> I, I researched that <laughs> I hadn't thought of it either until I looked it up and so this love story he has with this girl Aurora York who he meets in a tree when he's eight years old during the Spanish uh, Civil War and World War II. And uh, it's a very unusual romantic scene between a couple of eight-year-old kids in that they're hiding in a tree because uh, the Spanish uh, military and militia is coming to bury a bunch of bodies that they've killed. And the two of them, the children up in the tree, see these bodies being buried. And then uh, when they're covered over with dirt and the truck drives away, they come out of the tree and they walk over to the field and Frankie has his guitar and little Aurora says to him, play something for them. Uh, and he says, well, what am I supposed to play? Well, something that shows what we won't forget them. And he plays this song and of course he's an incredible player and she turns and looks at him and basically falls in love with him right From then, then and there. Uh, and, and they always have that moment together and she's kind of referred to as the girl in the tree. But music can, can do that, I think. You know, I've, I, I married a musician too. Uh, so I know that, you know, there's moments where um, when you sit and play music for somebody that you love, it's, it's different. And in fact, music says that at one point when he says there was a first time he bent the strings in the direction of somebody else, mm. which is how I knew that he was in love. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I would think music would tell. You know, music doesn't know what love feels like, mm -hmm. but it, can, it knows if the artist is willing to give away it's its most precious commodity, the notes that it creates towards somebody else, and that must it has to be has love. To be love. Right. Now, this was subtle, and I'm not I, I, I'm not sure um, how much you intended it or not. But this whole idea of this conflict between him choosing to be a guitarist versus a singer, uh -huh. and there was a moment where Aurora sort of is much more encouraging him to be a guitarist versus a singer. Like, right. what what are your what are your thoughts? Like, what were you? What is that about? Well, early in his life, he's 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 uh, taken in by a blind guitar teacher who has a mysterious past, also, which I'll leave to the reader to figure out. Uh, but he is a purist about playing guitar. That's all that there yeah. is. And he says to Frankie, he hears Frankie singing once, and he says, you sing very well. And Francisco is what he calls him. And he says, thank you. And he says, "It's not, don't thank me. It's going to be a problem. And he says, why is it a problem? He says, because you, can't, you can either be a great singer or you can be a great guitarist, but you can't be both. And uh, it's a harbinger of what his life ends up being because he comes to America and he becomes a pop star. And when Aurora, as you mentioned, his wife says to him, you know, I, you should keep playing the guitar, the powers that be in the industry, they're not interested in him playing the guitar. They don't care if he plays guitar yeah, or not. not. They just want him to be sexy yeah, and yeah. look good and sing like Elvis Presley, you know, who started out playing the guitar. But by, by the end, yeah. he was dancing with monkeys and, 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 and surfboarders and things like that. And they didn't care. And they turned him into kind of a caricature. And Frankie goes through that, and he loses his way. And, and not coincidentally, he loses his wife at the same time. She doesn't want to be with him when he is walking away from the thing that she knows he truly So loves. it is that tension between, quote-unquote, legit and non-legit? Right, well, and commercial success versus just pure artistic success. Okay. And he becomes molded, as they all did in the early 60s, into a, a teen idol. Right. And um, they basically force him to record songs that he didn't write, 
uh, that other writers right. uh, try to make popular. And he, and like Elvis Presley, who was a raw, uh, uh, just ball of fire of talent in 56 and 57, but by the time 63 and 64 came around, he was a quaffed, you know, pompadoured yeah. uh, movie star. Right. And the songs that he had to sing were about race cars and about, uh, you know, Mexico and, and about uh, uh, Hawaii and surfing. And they, they didn't have anything to do with music anymore. They all had to do with commodity and selling and all that. And Frankie goes through sort of a, a, a similar period. The difference between him and Elvis Presley is that Elvis continued that way and let himself be manipulated by Colonel Tom Parker for the rest of his life. Frankie has this very... Uh, uh, crashing confrontation when he's in the 60s with the Beatles and he, who he meets and he starts to go downhill and he eventually walks away from it and then does damage to himself and, and is forced to disappear from everything yeah. for a long stretch for of long time. time and that to me of course is very interesting as a writer because you know when someone is really really big and then they're gone the mystery well, around what's the him, story what's the story on there right. yeah. well, that was interesting yeah. so you your first love and your first efforts were around music, That's right. right? And then, and then it led to writing of a different sort, um, right. nonfiction, shorter right. fiction, uh, shorter nonfiction, and then longer nonfiction. So, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your arc and how it, you you finally did get to this long road of marrying the two up. Because yeah. I could talk to you about a million different things. Well, it is interesting to me, you know, when you get older and you look back on your life, why things happen the way that they do and how they come full circle and while I was working as a musician and not succeeding and playing at nights and dive bars and things like that, I had my days free and I ended up volunteering for a local newspaper here in New York, in Queens, New York, um, and found that I had some aptitude for writing and that they wanted me. That got was it, the only difference. The key, that they was wanted the me. They difference. actually called me and said, where are you? Yeah. Whereas these record companies that I gave oh, yeah. my stuff Don't to, I had to call. We'll call you. Totally. And so, you know, when you're young and you just want to create, um, I thought, well, here's an outlet for me that I can create, and they want me. And so I started to write more and more, fell into journalism, got opportunities there, and pretty much let music go as a, as a, a job, you know. And then over time as a writer, as I began to have some success as a writer and, and then have some recognition beyond Detroit and around the country with Tuesdays with Maury and, for, uh, you know, Five People You Meet in Heaven, things like that, I began to meet uh, musicians. Yeah. Who books. were interested in writing, and uh, oh, next yeah. thing I know, I was working with them and writing, and <laughs> I ended up having a song on Warren Zevon's album that we wrote that became a single in Canada, and a song that Kevin Smith wanted to turn into a movie, and uh, and some songs in other movies, and some soundtracks, and something, and I had more opportunities and met more musicians as a writer yeah. than I probably ever was going to do as a uh, as a musician. Still, I never wrote about music. And enough time, I guess, has passed that uh, I was able to have the distance on it. And when I did dig into, okay, let me write a novel about a musician and, and, and really about the bands we join in our life and how talent, talent affects us in so many ways. And, 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 and you know, I, I think of Amadeus, the, the, the play, not the movie, um, although it was a great movie. The concept of that, people think that that's about Mozart, but it isn't. It's about envy. It's yeah. about talent given to some person and yeah. not anybody else. Not somebody else. Not Salieri in that case. And, and uh, I thought that that was a fascinating thing about how does talent affect people because I've been blessed with this apparent ability to write. I don't know where it came from. I never 
practiced it. I fell into it after. You were touched that way. Yeah, but I fell into it after music. You know, I spent all my time preparing for a career in music. Never studied writing, never did anything, and yet now I'm more accomplished as a writer. Where did that talent come from? So that whole thing about, well, why do you have given talent became interesting to me, and I finally dug into it. And once I dug into it, this became not only the the most fun I've had in, in doing a book, but the deepest and, and, oh, and most researched and most character-driven and most epic. Yeah. Uh, even even the five people you meet in heaven, which spans an 80-year-old's life, is is minute compared it's to smaller. the scope yeah, of it, this. Yeah, I, I agree. It's very well done. And I think this leads me to talk about your charities because I think from what I've read and what I know about your work there, it's that same... It's that same feeling of, oh, okay, you know, everybody has touched somewhere, and, right. and if we can only be helpful in trying to give them opportunity to, to bring it out, it, it, it yeah. seems to me what all, you have so many, so much work that you do that, that's consistent throughout all of those efforts. Is, is that right, or what? You well, know? I, yeah, it, it's actually more right than you're probably even realizing when you're asking the question, because I could have made Frankie Presto you know, the third son of a very big Spanish family with a mother and a father, and, uh, you know, and when he gets married, he has kids of his own, and he raises them. It still would have worked as a book, but I didn't. He was an orphan uh, who becomes an orphan um, or a partial orphan the night he's born when his mother dies giving birth to him in a church, and he's raised by all kinds of other people who aren't his parents. And later in his life, he finds a child abandoned and takes the girl in. It's not an accident that I did that. I operate an orphanage in Haiti. Um, It's very, very primary in my life. I go there every month. Um, We have 40 children who I have alone admitted and and made the decision to to give them an opportunity while I had to turn away probably 10 to 15 for every one that I accepted. So having accepted them and taken on the responsibility for them until they're 18, we don't adopt them out. We raise them. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the difference that a little love and a little attention, a little guidance and a little instruction yeah. makes in a child who might otherwise not have it. And really, the magic strings of Frankie Presto, for all its music and for all its cute connections to real people and the forest gumpiness of it, the message is that, that everybody affects somebody else. Mm. The talent that you have affects somebody else's talent. The, in, the teaching that you put into somebody molds them, and then they go on and mold other people. And, and to do that, you know, I've, I've done that theme in some other books, but not with talent. And, uh, you know, it really stemmed from that charity work. So, yeah, I mean, it's a long answer to your question, but they are very connected through this book. What time do you get up in the morning, and what time do you go to bed? (laughs) Uh, I get up about 6, and I go to bed uh, a little before midnight. You know, I get about six hours of sleep, seven Mm, if I'm lucky. It's somewhat remarkable, everything that you do on a daily basis. Uh, I'm very disciplined about um, my writing. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I I get up, if it's 6, 6 6.15 or whatever, I go right into the, you know, brush my teeth, go to the kitchen, make a big cup of coffee, go downstairs and start writing. I don't listen to anything. I don't look at anything. Yeah, you can't keep it clear. can't have any input in my head. I have to be totally blank. And I just write from whenever I get started, 6.30, quarter to 7.00. 
for maybe two and a half hours, and that's it. Yeah. I don't have any more in my tank. No matter, I could sit there for the rest of the day. Um, and But I do it seven days a week. And if you do it seven days a week and you treat it like a job, and you know, and then the rest of the day is kind of partitioned out for the charity work or yeah. the newspaper work or just radio or all that, um, then you know you can still be creative. I like that I have a lot of other things going on, and they inform me when I do sit down and write. You yeah. know, they influence me. Things I've seen, people I've met, places I've gone. I think they make my writing richer. I want you to tell me about the audiobook of mm-hmm. Frankie Presto mm-hmm. and your involvement and and the voices that contributed to it because I think it's a neat thing. Uh, yeah, the book, uh, the written version of the book has, I think, nine uh, different musicians who are real, who uh, jump in at Frankie's funeral as voices at his funeral and talk about some moments they had. So Burt Bacharach talks about meeting him in a studio when he was just hanging around and, and, and letting him sit there while Dionne Warwick recorded a song. Paul Stanley talks about how he met him when he came in and auditioned for Kiss. Wynton Marsalis talks about finding him in a Spanish monastery with his head shaved and sitting there playing guitar because he was in a self-denied uh, d- purgatory. Um, Darlene Love talks about meeting him when she was 18 and walking on the beach with him and falling in love with him and then he disappeared. And all of these people, uh, I called some of them, most of them I knew, um, some better than others, and some I didn't know at all. Like Paul Stanley, I didn't know at all. Ingrid Michaelson, I barely knew. But uh, I told them about the idea, and they were cool with it. I said, can I write as you? I'll send it to you. You can approve it, but I want to write as you. And um, then when the audio book came around, I read the narrator's part of music, but then a lot of other people came in and participated. So Paul Stanley actually read his own part. So cool. Roger McGuinn, who founded The Birds, he read his own part. Ingrid Michaelson read their own part. And there's all these other characters and voices who come in, people who I know, musicians who I know. So it's a, it's a cast of thousands on the audio book. But uh, some of them, the real people, you know, who just got a kick out of it. All right, I get one more question. What is your musical fantasy? My musical fantasy would be to produce... Oh. the greatest album ever, wow. oh. to be behind the glass and oh. to be pressing the buttons and to arrange the instruments and then to have it come back with the greatest singer and the greatest musician and say, I saw this from nothing. I heard it, I put it together, and now I'm hearing it back as I heard it in my head. I've never had the chance. I've, I've done it on some songs, but I mean to do it with like a full orchestra and everything like that and to create something from total scratch and produce a record that everyone heard and just said, wow, you know, that's, wow, what a piece of music that is. That would be my musical fantasy. Fantastic. Thank you so very much for your time and thank you for the book. It was wonderful. Thanks for the question. Thank you for listening. I'm Ana Maria Alessi. And this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.